This is my good friend Steve. Everyone say hi, Steve. Steve, say hi, everyone. Hey, everyone. So, um, you can sit down whenever you like, bro. Thanks, like, wh whatever you like. Just make yourself at home. Um, Steve and I have known each other for a whole lot of years. It's been... I would say 12. 12? Mm. That's, that's a long time. Hmm. But that is about right. We've known each other for about 12 years. Um, Steve and I met at, of all things, a Baptist pastor's... Uh, what do we call it? Thing, a retreat, a revival, renewal kind of thing. Residential intensive is how it's pitched, but residential you call it intensive. You want, brother. Wow, that sounds really intense. It's Baptist man, bring it's it on. It's Baptist. So Steve has a couple of lives. Steve um, trained for ministry through um, the El Baptisto system. That, that's relatively correct, isn't it? I went to um, Moreland College. He went yeah. to Moreland College, which is also where the lovely Deb went. So some good quality has obviously come out of there. Um, okay, I'm biased. Get over it. Now, um, and, but that's not all you do. In fact, what you do with your time during the week is something quite different. Steve is also a lawyer, so don't mess with him, okay? Tell us a little bit about what you do during the week as a lawyer. Sure. So, I was sitting in a lecture in Moreland College uh, talking about um, Acts, the, part, the guy who was giving the lecture talked about how the church had been given this extraordinary commission to go and take and be good news to the ends of the earth. You've read kind of the end of Matthew, it gives the game away. And um, what he was saying was the early church had got to kind of the outer suburbs of Jerusalem and got super comfortable there and just hung out. And um, so in the end, the way that the Lord kind of brings to pass, this is a really long, circuitous way of coming to your question. You, um, the way that the Lord kind of um, gets the church out is through persecution. So persecution breaks out, it looks like a bad thing but the Lord flips it on its head and actually uses it to become the means by which good news is carried to the ends of the earth because he disrupts the church from being settled in the outer suburbs of Jerusalem. And I just remember sitting there in that lecture going, um, I'm really worried that um, my Christian life is comfortably ensconced in the outer suburbs of the church um, and I really don't want to be persecuted out of there, so maybe I should start making some proactive choices. So um, I, um, over the course of a couple of years, uh, ended up setting up a charity uh, that works with local churches to give free and prophetically low-cost help to people who don't have access to a lawyer any other way. Uh, we're based over at Parramatta Baptist Church in the northwest of Sydney, and we do outreach in the southwest at Peakhurst and over at um, Waitara near Hornsby. Uh, and basically, we just serve people whose lives have taken a disorienting shift sideways. We try and help with parenting disputes, domestic violence, uh, things that are in that postcode uh, and just try and uh, bring hope where there's not a lot and wisdom where there's sometimes foolishness and new beginnings where something old has ended. Mm. I told you I'd get to answer it eventually. That was pretty good, wasn't it? That was pretty good. So there is some really cool stuff that you get up to. So just ask him to tell you some stories and the things that he legally can tell you. I'm sure you could tell some really amazing stories of how you brought the love of Jesus into some really, really garbagey situations. Um, so Steve and his amazing wife, Sarah, and his two beautiful daughters, one of which I can see, Lucy, up the back. Ali is... Ali got raptured before us. Ali's not which in the room. Sadly means we all got left behind. <laughs> we, well, hey, we got a job to it's do. only a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. We'll be fine. Um, but they've been hanging out with us for a bit over 
the last kind of six to 12 months-ish, thereabouts, Steve has a way of communicating from kind of angles that I would just never even think to come from. He has this amazing gift in creative communication um, as well as an amazing heart and anointing. And I've been looking for a little kind of window of opportunity to get him in front of us all and to get him to just do his thing. And that time has come right now. So give him a huge hand. Bless you and go for it. Thanks, buddy. Wow. It's better be good then, I suppose, huh? <laughs> no pressure. Now. No pressure. Hey, I'm um, the kind of person I wish to be when I move to this part of the room prays. So if you're a prayer, would you pray with me? We rush around sometimes, Father, like there's other things that are more important than you. And yet, um, <laughs> just in this nanosecond, I'm just overwhelmed by your goodness and your presence and your love and your, um, your right priority in our life. So would you just take hold of these next few moments and uh, use them to speak to us in ways that we might not hear if we were still rushing around. Help us to know your love for us more profoundly and to live out your love for the world uh, in greater measure as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've kind of been spying on you from there-ish and occasionally there-ish for a few months. And it, it seems like you guys are big on Jesus, yeah? Is that <laughs> seems accurate? Uh, that's not hugely distinctive amongst Christian churches, but it seems like you're big on Jesus, and that's, that's a positive. And um, it seems like you guys are pro-heaven, yeah? Yes. If it was like a vote, you'd be voting yes. <laughs> um, which brilliantly doesn't seem to mean that you're anti-earth. It seems like you just want those two priorities to come together exquisitely, not only for you, but for the people that you parent and work with, and our neighbours too, and for all the world. <laughs> um, man, that's, that's why we keep coming back. <laughs> uh, so you're big on Jesus, you're pro-heaven, and um, the, the lanky guy who kind of gangles around here talking to you a lot on Sundays uh, seems to be trying to usher you into an understanding of what God's up to that is, um, is grounded in, in kingdom, not just in your own personal salvation. Um, so there must be something in this old book where Jesus and heaven and kingdom um, come together. So um, Matthew 13, uh, Jesus says, Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. <laughs> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. And I, I, I've, I've read that so many times and um, I love the one who tells the story and I love the stories that he tells. And I hope that you don't take the next thing that I say as disrespectful to either him or his stories. But this stuff is translucent. You can kind of see through it. You know something's on the other side. You can guess vaguely the shape of it, but there's something about the way that he chooses to reveal what he's up to that has within it a desire to keep mystery, to make people chase, to call out the ones who will ask the questions, who will be bewildered for the sake of pressing closer and following around. Do you know that one day someone hassles him about the, the translucent nature of the stories that he tells? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, I'm telling you these things in parables so that you'll always be hearing but never understanding. Oh, thanks. That's fantastic. That's, yeah. <laughs> 
But do you understand the reason he does that is because he doesn't want us to come and just consume at some banquet table where everything is already ready. He wants us to become co-creators of the nourishment our souls crave. And so he just puts all the ingredients there and says, come, 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 let's work it out together. Uh, so, so he says, I'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. I'll be really honest, it's not just the parables that are translucent. <laughs> it's the very phrase, the kingdom of heaven, that um, invites us to perceive in some form the beauty that lies behind it and yet in some measure as well keeps it hidden. I remember sitting in a lecture at Bible college one day and some guy with a brain that he had to wheel around in a wheelbarrow was standing at the front of the room saying, can anyone tell me what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about is, and there's a collection of people who've all chosen to give up thousands of dollars and who are already serving in churches in all sorts of capacities uh, who get hit by this question and then there's just like crickets, tumbleweeds, silence. No one wants to say anything. Um, and then someone, you know, blessed are the icebreakers, you know, the, the ones who go first have a special place in, in heaven, apparently. And, uh, and, and so uh, someone at some point kind of pipes up with some thought about what the kingdom of heaven is, and a lecturer kind of, oh, you know, you're, kind of, you're, you're in the right postcode, it's really good that you're saying that, and the next person pipes up, and again, like, right postcode, you know, it's really, it's, it's lots of encouragement that you're almost there, but no one seemed, at least in the opinion of this one person, to nail it. Uh, and of course, at some point, because I like expressing my opinions, uh, I gave the room the right and exhaustive answer, um, and even at that point, this one guy still kind of rolled his eyes discernibly and sighed forlornly and said, yeah, I kind of, I'm really glad about what you're saying but um, there's, there's more. Now, I reckon you could preach a thousand sermons on the kingdom of heaven and still not finish saying everything there was to say about it. Which is why, of course, you can grow old and your last breath still be amazed in wonder at how much more of God you haven't yet discovered but are about to meet. Uh, so, I've got to give you some kind of answer, though, because Tim asked me to come and sit in this part of the room, and people in this part of the room should at least have a shot. Here's my shot at what the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, if you snapped open the mental briefcase for me marked kingdom of heaven, inside it would say that the kingdom of heaven is the mystery of creation functioning in ways that consistently express the patterns and priorities of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, this, this thing that Jesus is bringing to bear in the world through his life and his ministry, and then after that, the outpouring of the Spirit, is the mystery of creation, created things actually functioning consistently in ways that express the patterns and priorities of heaven. So do you want to know what it is when someone who until now has been dishonest and comes to Christ and suddenly starts telling the truth? Do you know what that is? That's the kingdom of heaven. Uh, do you want to know what it is when someone who all their life has been distracted and selfish suddenly becomes fixed on the one who's the afflicted and the poor and starts directing their finances and their time and their volunteering and their prayer life towards those people? That's the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to know what it is that's happening in this part of the room when suddenly some tune, some lyric, some artwork just expresses awe and wonder and beauty or pain and lament in a way that a billion talks could never do? 
That's the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to know what's happening when you somehow with grasping hope pray for the sick and see them get well? That's the kingdom of heaven. And it remains mystery. It's not a mechanism. It doesn't work the same way time after time after time. And there are times and days and months and years where it doesn't seem like it's working at all. But it is the mystery of creation finally consistently expressing the patterns and priorities of heaven. And in 64 words, Jesus tells these two stories where he tries to give us some markers of what that's going to look like um, The first one he says, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Man, he knows how to leave some details out. Whatever the heck we're meant to do with parables, it isn't meant to be writing a PhD dissecting the works of Dickens. Uh, This is a story that leaves so much to our imagining. We know almost nothing about this someone who finds treasure in the the field, hides it and sells everything that he has or she has to uh, buy the field and take possession of it. We don't know what their job is. We don't know what their name is. We don't know what their ethnicity is. We don't know what their religion is. We have no clue why they're even in the field in the first place. Maybe there's some kind of ancient Hebrew property developer going through their version of Nelson and Box Hill looking for something to buy and develop. Could be. Maybe it's some laborer in the field harvesting wheat who just somehow looks down at some point and goes, you're kidding. Maybe it's some person stumbling home after a big night throwing down a few whatever it was back in those days, taking a shortcut through someone's field who, as he trips over, looks down where his feet were and says, man, look, we know nothing about this person. It's just someone. But there's this moment, there's this ecstatic moment where they find something they never thought they would find. And in the looking at this thing, something in their life shifts in a way that will never be the same again. Because do you understand, once you've sold all you own, you can't buy it back again, it's gone. Whoever you sold it to has it now, and you have possession of this different thing instead. And that's the way that the kingdom of heaven affects this someone in the field. Whatever the heck is going on in this treasure, that's what it's worth to them. Uh, Jesus develops a second story, the story about the merchant in search of fine pearls. Well, we know more about this person for a start. What we know is their job. They're a merchant. We know what they're a merchant of, fine pearls. For you and me, merchant of fine pearls, what does that mean? You just go to Prouds and pick it up for 50 bucks. In their days, picking up pearls was not something you did on a normal day in Capernaum or Jerusalem or wherever you happen to be. If you were a merchant in search of fine pearls, this, 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 anyone who's listening to Jesus would immediately know, oh, wow, that's a tough gig. If you want to find pearls in first century Middle East, well, first of all, you might go to the Red Sea. Everyone knows where you can go to the Red Sea. Like, there's some okay pearls there. Uh, that's the closest place they could have gone for. They would have found pearls there. But a merchant in search of fine pearls would have known straight away. They're the dodgiest pearls. We go further than that. I mean, you guys would obviously know that the better pearls would have been in the Persian Gulf back in those days. But the best pearls, if you're in search of the best pearls, man, you're going to go to what these days we would call India or Sri Lanka to find them. That's a long walk. Do you understand? There was no Uber back then. Uh, you could not get there in a plane. This, this, this picture of a merchant in search of fine pearls, as soon as Jesus tells the story, 
He's planting in people's minds and deeper in their spirits this evocative image of a wandering wanderer on a worldwide quest for the object of his affection. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in his searching on this day, he finds, having searched always for pearls, plural, one pearl, Jesus says, one pearl. That's the pearl that you'll, you'll know it when you see it. You know how young people always go, how will I know when I'm in love? You just kind of know it when it happens. The first time I ever saw Sarah, she was standing at the front of Bathurst Baptist Church singing Amazing Grace in a trio. And I went, I'm going to marry that girl. I went home, I rang my sister, I said, I've seen the girl that I'm going to marry. She's in a musical theatre production, in uh, amateur music theatre production in Bathurst soon. Do you want to come and see that with me? Now, I want to tell you, if you're 23 and you're voluntarily going to amateur musical theatre productions, you have been struck by lightning. <laughs> and that's the picture that Jesus is painting here of this merchant in search of fine... Per- I just want to say musical theatre is a great art form. <laughs> Jesus is like super up for it. It's rich. It carries culture. It expresses so many good things. And also, I did not like it when I was 23. Um, <laughs> but I super liked Sarah. (laughs) Um, But in these parables about um, a field and about a merchant in search of fine pearls, um, this thing that you've been up for for years, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is marking it out as a place of finding, as a place of wonder, as a place of joy, as a place of completion, but also, and I need to say this, a place of cost. Do you understand? These these two people sell everything they own to lay hold of the treasure and the pearl. Um, Finding and wonder and joy and completion, man, they're they're the deep longings of the human spirit. We, we, we're instinctively up for them. As soon as we hear those words, something inside us starts to beat faster. But cost, instinctively, we're not super up for cost. <laughs> the, the Black Friday sales that we saw washing across the world are kind of the proof that cost is not our favourite thing. We'd like that to be as low as possible. But do you understand the best stories always involve a cost? Have you ever seen a rom-com where someone didn't have to give up something for the person that they'd weirdly fallen in love with really quickly who was living in Seattle and they were in New York or some other thing? Do you understand? Like, it's the cost within the romantic comedy that makes the story so compelling. Do you guys remember, like, Rocky or every other fight film ever made? There's always a training montage where someone goes through these excruciating exercises to become battle-ready for the fight that's ahead. And it's the cost that they go through to get to the victory that makes it work. Worthwhile. Have you ever seen in George Street in town on the day before an iPhone release, the people who were camped out, sleeping in the streets, waiting for the new release? And the reason why that gets on the news is because the cost is what actually demonstrates the value of the thing that's found, the wonder that it carries, the completion that it brings. And Jesus is saying, this kingdom of heaven is worth the cost. This kingdom of heaven is going to cost, but it's worth the cost. Um, 
One writer says this, he says, all the children of Adam, all human beings at all times and in all places are in the kingdom business, shopping day and night for the mystery of the city of God. What I would talk about is the mystery of creation functioning in ways that express the pattern and priorities of heaven. Now, true enough, he says, like any random group of shoppers, they have their share of gullibility, questionable taste and proneness to buy what's in the store rather than what they're really looking for, uh, but they are shopping <laughs> and they are as often as not, quite willing to put their money where their heart's desire is. Why do people flock to these films about fighting and about love? Why do they shop for consumables and, and do all these things that we all do? They do it because they're searching for the thing that Jesus is saying there's found in him. Because this is so obviously true about everyone, everywhere, all the time, most people who come to look at these stories that Jesus tells immediately try and find an application that's just about us. So if you read some of the boring books that are sitting on my shelf, you'll read one guy who says this. He says, the recent convert says, I found Christ. And filled with joy, he returns to his own environment, gives up his lifestyle and devotes himself completely to the Lord. Some people sell their business in order to pursue a theological education, seek ordination and be commissioned as minister or missionary of the gospel of Christ. That's, um, that's the kind of thing you'll read a hundred times over if you go looking for people's reflections on these parables. You want to switch or you want to keep going? It's in. It's screwed in. Everything's fine. <laughs> I want to say, like, does this in some way give expression to the things that Jesus has been talking about? Well, I mean, of course there is in some way some kind of expression of earth lining up with heaven that happens when these things occur in a person's life. But I also want to be really, really honest with you. If the highest hope that we can look for in earth and heaven coming into alignment with one another is that we spend slightly less time in the pub and slightly more time in church meetings... If the greatest application of these timeless teachings of Jesus is that we would quit our jobs, spend some money on theological education, and then take a different job, still paying us middle-class wages, I just want to say, I'm not sure we've got to the outer edges of it. If I'm even more honest than that... Um, I just, I just have to ask the question, which of us in reality have ever sold everything, like everything, everything to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven? Which, which of us? Every thought, every possession, every way that we're perceived by every other person, everything... If that's what Jesus is saying in these stories, which of us has ever lived it? <laughs> so who has? <laughs> it's the classic Sunday school question and it's not got a sneaky answer here. Uh, the parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 over and over again, the one who's kneading the yeast into the dough is, 
the Son of Man. The one who's scattering the seed on the ground, being picked up by birds and other things, is the Son of Man. These stories that Jesus tells, if you want to look and see who is it who really sold everything, who held nothing back, forsaking even his own life, to lay hold of the mystery of earth finally functioning in ways that consistently express the patterns and priorities of heaven. There's one, ever. Uh, In Matthew 13, the the, the identification of this is it says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Uh, The one who sells everything to lay hold of the treasure is the son of man. The one who's been in search of fine pearls and found one and sells everything to lay hold of it is the son of man. So I would... um, I would ask the question, what if before Jesus is saying anything to us and our, about our engagement with the kingdom of heaven in these parables, uh, what if they are really Jesus' self-revelation of his eternal pursuit? Can I have the hand up? <laughs> so what if? What if before Jesus has anything to say to us about our engagement with the kingdom of heaven? What he's actually doing in these stories is engaging in revelation about himself and what he's up to. What if these stories first and foremost are stories about Jesus' eternal pursuit of creation finally functioning in heaven's ways? (laughs) A pursuit that took him from heaven to the Hebrews, from kingliness to lowliness. A pursuit that cost him literally everything to finally set right what's in the world. Uh, What if these stories are, first of all, stories about Jesus' finding of the mystery of heaven and hiding of it again in the field that we call earth, right under our noses, waiting to be discovered by us each and every day as we go about the ordinary work of being family and working in our vocations and being neighbours? What if these stories, before they're saying anything about us, are Jesus' self-revelation of his view of all this? of his view of people and plants and sea breezes and sunsets, of his view of love and laughter and tears and tiredness, of his view of all things as treasure and beauty. Do you understand? So often when we come to this place, we value, yeah, we value the love and the laughter, but the tears and the tiredness, we place no value on them. But what does Jesus buy when he buys the world? He buys everything. He buys the reality of it. He buys the love and the laughter, but he buys, and by doing so, values as well. Those moments where we're crying, those moments where we're flat, those moments that we want to forsake, but he says, no, that's life. It's valuable. Uh, What if these stories, before they have anything to say about us, are Jesus' self-revelation of his unreserved, purposeful, costly, but joyful pursuit and purchase of all this through his life and his death and his resurrection? Um, What price does he pay? Well, in Revelation we read these words that... um, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slaughtered by your blood, you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You, the heavens, cry to Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slaughtered 
and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. Um, and we want to hear those words through the lens of religion and we want to be moved. There's instinctively something inside us that wants to feel sorry for what we made Jesus do. But do you understand that elsewhere in Scripture, God declares that what Jesus went through, he went through for the sake of the joy set before him. Do you understand that Jesus, this is just him selling everything to lay hold of the treasure in the field, selling everything to finally get the thing that God's been planning for since the beginning of time, which is earth functioning in ways that express heaven. So I would argue that what Jesus is saying through these uh, parables is that propelled by love and drawn on by joy, he has purchased creation which he regards as treasure and beauty and everything within it. So I want to make two comments on that. That was the world's um, longest introduction with the world's shortest talk coming after it. Here's, here's my points. I have two. I regard people who make three points in a sermon as pretentious. Um, <laughs> that was my first point. <laughs> and the number of the counting shall be three. <laughs> um, we have competing narratives in our lives. Every day you'll wake up and a bunch of thoughts will bounce around in your head about who you are and what you're up to in the world and what's true of your family and what meaning your job has. You, you have, every single one of you, about 15,000 competing narratives going on inside your head all the time. Um, I want to insist on Jesus' behalf that the one principal narrative of your life <laughs> is that you've been included in this work, that Jesus, propelled by love and drawn on by joy, uh, has purchased creation seeing it as treasure and beauty and everything in it. Do you know that everything in it includes like you, me, it includes uh, Rouse Hill, it includes Riverston, it's the whole kit and caboodle. Do you understand the primary narrative of your life is this? Uh, when you wake up in the morning, you'll be tempted to think thoughts about yourself that are something less than that. And I just want to argue on Jesus' behalf. This is the thought we should default to. We had a guy who um, worked with us for a little while. He came to us as a volunteer. He needed to volunteer because breaking into the legal profession is actually kind of hard. Most people do it because they've either got like, um, most people do it actually in all honesty because they've got social connections. <laughs> Uh, this guy didn't have social connections. He'd grown up as the son of a, a barmaid um, and he'd, he was astonishingly bright, but he just didn't know anybody who would give him his first break in law. And um, I remember sitting with him and having a coffee and just him telling me this story and I could hear the competing narratives in my life, like I'm, I'm never going to be a lawyer because this is the social setting from which I come. And it just struck me that this is the kind of guy that we need to invite into what we're doing. Uh, so we invited him in. And as I got to know him, this guy was the most sold out guy for this idea that I've ever seen. We were running a case one day uh, in the family law courts. It was for a, 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 a woman who was Muslim background and we had all this time sitting around at court where you just end up chatting. And so this woman was chatting with us, her about her Muslim faith and, and she asks uh, this guy who was working with me at some point, like, so are you like, she knew I was a Christian, are you like Steve, are you a Christian too? And this guy says, yeah, yeah, I am. Um, she says, well, how did that ever happen? He said, actually, like I didn't grow up in a faith family, um, but someone one day just gave me a Bible and I was on a trip somewhere and I was in a hotel room and I didn't want to watch telly, so I just pulled out this Bible someone had gave me and just as I was reading it, it just struck me, Jesus purchased me. 
he, he bought me and he said, I looked over the room and there was a chair in the room and I looked at the chair and I thought, if I purchased that chair, what right would that chair have to say to me, don't come and sit on me? And he said, in that moment, just reading my Bible and having this news flash that Jesus purchased me, I just gave my life to him. And ever since then, I've just everything in my whole life is all directed towards just living out the fact that Jesus has bought me and that, that was love and joy and that I've got a place in the world through that. That Man, that's the story that the Gideon's Bible people want to tell you all the time. It's just like the, the hotel room and the book. It, it got the job done. But getting in is just the beginning of these, these stories that Jesus tells. Because if this is universally true of all things everywhere, then the getting in is just the beginning of the gift to you of becoming this kind of person to the world around you. Do you know that the most annoying people that you'll meet in the next week, they've all been swept up by Jesus because he saw them as treasure and beauty. Do you understand that? For some of you, you've got kids and you will know there are just minutes where you go, man, you are treasure, you're beauty, you're blowing bubbles, you're sleeping perfectly. It's so easy to see why, why God included you in the saving work of Jesus. And then there are other moments where that's just not 100% true. Do you know that the way that you react in those moments where that's not immediately and obviously true will be the way that you prophesy over your children that God still sees them as treasure and beauty? Do you know that annoying co-worker who siphons time out of your diary? Do you know that neighbour who just smuggles chaos into your household? Do you know that all those people, God sees them as treasure and beauty because he values not just the love and the laughter, but the tiredness and the tears? So we had this day, we got two girls, I won't name who this story relates to. Some of you might be able to pick it anyway, but um, I was working from home. I had a home office and just out the front of the um, home office, I had this this tile at... Um, I won't explain the backstory to it, but it had enormous emotional meaning to me. Uh, it was just a, a real place marker of something profound that God had done for me in my life. And um, this particular daughter, um, I'm sure she was doing it because she wanted my attention to come and play with her, but uh, she kept knocking this sign over with a soccer ball. Um, and at some point, I went out to this unnamed child uh, and said, um, can you kind of not do that? I just really value that and I don't want it to be broken and, and um, went back to work. And then it just kept happening. And so at some point I actually had to address this properly. Do you know that the most instinctive thing in that moment is to tower over a child, to say, I've told you before not to do this. Stop doing it. This is very silly. Do you, do you understand? I'm prophesying something over her in the moment where I do that. And somehow or other in the mystery of God's uh, grace, he just gives me this moment where I come outside and I say to this unnamed child, um, can you come over here? We've got we to have a chat. And we just, um, I said, can you sit down with me? Because do you know that when our Heavenly Father talks to me about hard things, he doesn't tower over me? So I said, can we sit down? And we held hands and I said, do you know how I feel about you at the moment? And this child said, uh, no. <laughs> um, are, you are you angry? And I said, um, no, I'm not, that's not how I feel about you right now. I love you. Because even in this moment, you are treasure and beauty to me. I didn't say that, but that's what's happening inside my head. And we talk and I say, look, this thing is really valuable to me. I'd really like you not to knock that over anymore. Can you just stop kicking balls around out here and can you take care of it? And we had this moment and um, 
sometimes the prophetic works straight away, yeah, and everything shifts in a moment and no one's ever quite the same again. But in this particular instance, it was one of those times where you're kind of talking about the thing that's going to be true of you in a little while. Uh, and so this child's out the front again, kicking the ball around yet again and knocks the tile over yet again. And I come out on this time and I go through the same thing. It worked really well last time. So we say, can we come in? Can we sit down? And we sit down and I say, can we hold hands? And we hold hands. And um, I say, how do I feel about you right now? And this child says to me, um, you're happy. <laughs> I went, no, no, I've, I've oversourced the pudding. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not happy. I love you. I, I love you. Do you understand that the way I'm disposed towards my children, increasingly I pray, is becoming the way that our Heavenly Father is disposed towards us. I see them all the time in every moment as treasure and beauty. And in the moments where I don't feel that, the narrative of my life that is the primary narrative, the truest narrative, the thing that guides my thoughts and my actions, is that Jesus proved definitively that God sees everything and everyone as treasure and beauty. <laughs> Can you all stand? I want to pray for you um, before we move into whatever the service closes with. Just um, close your eyes and... Um, if you have a sense that the Father may have anything that he may wish to give to you tonight, just put your hands out. So, Father, for those of us who have people rushing into our minds even now who we know are the fault lines of our love, they're the ones where our love, our patience, our joy all break, would you please re-kingdom the way that we view those people? For those of us who carry regret at the ways that we've lived before towards those people. In the name of Jesus, we announce forgiveness, washing away old things and fresh possibility coming in. For those of us who don't have imagination yet to know what it would look like to um, prophetically play out <laughs> heaven's view of everyone, everywhere, all the time being treasure and beauty, would you please help us to reimagine our work and our home and our interactions with our neighbours in ways that would make that the unforced rhythm of our life. We thank you, Father, that you saw us as treasure and beauty, that you swept us up in Jesus' name. Amen.